All right, well, the children are in the service here, as usual, for our first Sunday of the month. We're going to be looking at the man who had the legion of demons. Worship team, thank you so much. I just so enjoy our worship time together. Thank you. Well, we want to take a look at this man because there's a whole lot of things that are going on in our country that are more demon-inspired than used to be here. And we don't want anyone to be in fear. Is that something that can happen to me? We want to know what the Word of God teaches us on these things and how we can prevent ourselves from becoming like this person or be in this same kind of a situation. It seems that in Jesus' day there was an awful lot of people that were demon-possessed in a country of Israel. So we want to make sure of that. Now, last week I did talk to you about some things and Miss um, Sharon was, was kind enough to remind me of one of them yesterday. And so I set out to doing some more thinking about that. And then after, after that last night, of course, I went to bed. I went to bed to get up early anyway. But the Spirit of God woke me up on some stuff because I apparently didn't have it all down just yet. <laughs> but remember, we were talking about married, marriage and, and people that are born into the family, sons, brothers, sisters, stuff like that. That in heaven, brothers and sisters still stay brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters still stay sons and daughters. But husbands and wives don't remain that way. In fact, Jesus even came and said, that's not how it is in the kingdom of heaven. And in the marriage relationship, you actually don't get born into this world in a marriage relationship. You can go through your entire uh, life out here and never enter into a marriage relationship. And you won't lose out on anything. There's uh, nothing that's lost. And, and uh, if you did enter into a marriage, what ends that marriage relationship? We talked about that last week. Only one thing it does. Death. Now, Jesus said, but now you all, uh, Moses let you do things like divorce because of your hardness of heart. But he said, actually, only death separates that. So you're not born into that relationship, nor are you, uh, does it carry over into heaven. But death will separate it. Well, I've, I saw this in Scripture. I just kind of was thinking, you know, there's, there's, it seems like there's more to this. And I mentioned that to you, that you all could, you know, meditate it on your own and, and see what you get. And um, I hadn't picked it up again all this week until Miss Sharon asked me some things that they just trying to mention it in there. So I began to think on it some more. I was drawn to some of the teaching that Jesus did in the New Testament. that kind of expands on this a little bit. Because in the Old Testament, the people were brought into a... What kind of relationship with God? Anybody remember? A covenant relationship with God. In the Old Testament, we had a covenant relationship with God. When Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, and is specifically Nicodemus, they were talking about this, and Nicodemus came to him as far as the covenant relationship is concerned between them and God. Remember Jesus' discourse with him? Basically, I'm going to summarize it for you this way. Unless you get past the covenant relationship and enter into a born-again relationship, you will have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Ah. See, that gave me a clue. Ah, now I'm beginning to see this. You see, a lot of times, Christians, we want to enter into 
a covenant relationship with God. And we always want to talk about covenant, covenant, covenant. But the most important thing in the Word of God is what you're born into. Because those, def- those relationships are never severed. Now, you can walk away from it, but it's not severed. It's there. There is an instance in the Old Testament. There are two people who are not related who came into a covenant relationship. You will know them very well. David and Jonathan. They had no relationship to each other, but they entered into a covenant relationship. Jonathan died first. Once Jonathan died, David could no longer bless him in the covenant relationship because he's dead. So you remember David's words? Is there not someone born of the house of Jonathan that I may show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake? Now, a lot is made about Mephibosheth and how he lived with the ability to have a covenant relationship, but the, knowledge, the lack of knowledge of it kept him from walking in that. David brought up into that. He walked in that covenant relationship up until when? Anybody remember? Up until he died. Death severed that. See, what God wants you to do is get out of just what you have in covenant because covenant will very much benefit you in this life. But once you die, you need something that's going to carry you over into the next life. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. God wants people that are born into his family. You have to get past the covenant. Now, one more thing I'm going to help you out with on this. How many remember that scripture that said, depart from me, I never knew you. But we cast out demons in your name. Because you can do things in this life based on the covenant, but never enter into the sonship relationship. And so when you die, the benefits stopped. But you see, when you are born again, the benefits continue. Because in heaven, we are sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. But we are not husband and wife. We are not covenant in heaven. We are born. What, happened, what about those Old Testament people? Oh, they were born again looking forward to what Messiah would do. Just as we are born again looking backwards. So I hope that helps you out a little bit on that. I think there's still more i got to learn on it. But we'll get there with some of those things. But you can meditate on those. Hopefully that, uh, that helps you out. But there's some stuff here in, in this, and before we get into it, we need to know a little bit about what goes on before Mark chapter 5. So, we're going to have a little bit of help on that. Max is going to come and he's going to read for us the, uh, the verses that come before. Come on, Max. On the same day, Oops, hold on a minute. i got to get you a mic. There you go. On the, same, on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. 
And other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thank you, sir. That's an important scripture for us to understand because it is the exact scriptures that come before this. And just to give you a sort of a, a bigger picture of this whole thing, Jesus leaves a place where people wanted him to be. Gets in a boat to go to a place that as we will find out in the story, no one wanted him. He ministers to one person and then leaves to go back. That setting tells me that what Jesus is doing is he is on an assignment. He has been given an assignment from God. So he says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. Because his assignment is not here where all the people like him. His assignment is over there where he knows people aren't going to like me a whole lot. So he goes on over to there. Let us go to the other side. And this storm rises up so much so that it scared the fishermen. The people that are on the water all the time, they were scared. That's how bad of a storm it was. And they're bailing, they're bailing. And they finally decide, we've got to go down to Jesus. And they get this thought in their head. Don't you care that we're perishing? Now, we could teach the whole day just on this, this story, but that's not what we're here to do. We're here to get to the next part. But you need, need to see this. He's on an assignment. On an assignment, he goes on over to where he's supposed to go. And this storm, as it's been taught on that very often... This storm has uh, spiritual implications. And he speaks to the wind, not to the waves. They were battling the waves. He speaks to the wind. And then the waves settle down. But it seems that he was... There was an attempt to, to stop him from getting to the other side. To get over there and to do this. Now, when you go through the Gospels here, you will find that at times teachings are repeated in the Gospels. There's sometimes the same teaching is in the, in the Gospels three times. You will see this, this go on. In this particular healing encounter that we have, it follows the event of the wind and the waves crossing in all three of the Gospels that they recorded. But there are variations of teachings that come after. That changes. There's some of the, sometimes you'll have an event and then one gospel will say, and then he taught this, or then he gave this parable. And if you ever wonder, well, does that mean that the Bible is inaccurate? You ever think that? Why does he say that we had this event and then he taught this, but over here in this gospel, we have the same event, but now we're saying that he taught this. That would seem to be inaccurate. That's not the case at all. What happens in the Bible is there are events, events such as the crossing of the of the uh, sea with the storm, that's an event. That probably only happened one time. But Jesus is a traveling minister. He travels from one city to another. They don't have the uh, advantage of recorded messages, YouTube, broadcast. 
So if you want to hear Jesus teach the message, you have to be there. So if he comes over to one city and he teaches the message, if he wants the people in the other city to hear it, how are they going to hear it? He's got to teach it again. How many of y'all know traveling ministers? They teach a lot of times the same thing. We'll go over here. They'll teach the same thing here that they just taught over here. And they'll tell the same stories. Sometimes there's a little variation on it. And if you ever see variation in the things that Jesus teaches, well, Mark carried it this way and Luke carried it this way. Why is that variation there? Because this is the way Mark said it. Now Luke is saying this way. Well, it's simple. When Jesus told it over here in Nazareth, he told it this way. When he came over here to Capernaum, he told it this way. One's just focusing on when he told it over here in Capernaum. This one's focusing on when he told it over here at Nazareth. But you see, he could tell that same parable. He could tell that same teaching three, four, five, twenty times. And the variations are, they're going to be variations of it. So don't ever get, get taken back by that or let anybody tell you there's some inaccuracies in that. There's not. He just taught it differently. And Mark, he focused, he just really latched on to how it was over here in the Capernaum place. Whereas Matthew might say, oh, the way that Nazareth, where you, oh, I just really love the way that you taught that over there. And he really latched on to that one. He brought out the, the details that were there. So if you ever see that, uh, some of these events, well, here's the event, and then these are the things that come after that. We're, we're here in this particular story. We have the event of the crossing and then the event of the casting out of the demon-possessed man. There's two events that are right there, and that's why they're often put together. But if you ever see some of those teachings that come after an event that was already described someplace else, that's where you'll see some of the, the difference. So that might help you out with, with some of the things as you look through the Word of God. Critics will just find any reason that they can to find error in the Word of God. I don't look to find error. I know the error is in me. If ever I don't understand something, the error is in me. And I set out to try and make sure that I can find out what it is. Now, Jesus, I believe, has an assignment here. And just because... No one else knows that Jesus has an assignment. He doesn't enlighten the disciples that he has an assignment. He doesn't say anything to them that he has an assignment. That doesn't mean the enemy doesn't know that you have an assignment. You may have an assignment from God, but the enemy may may know it. Doesn't mean that he does. It just means that he may know it. I think it is interesting to see that how the enemy stirs up the wind and the waves to come against Jesus on this mission. But when Jesus returned to the city where Lazarus lived, and we all, we covered that story before, we showed you there was, there was a trap that was set up for him to come on back and they were going to kill him as soon as he got in there, and how he avoided the trap by listening to the Spirit and all. It's amazing to me that the devil could not get the people to comply. He was probably handing them, he's coming, he's coming. Oh, he's not coming. He's not coming. They were obstinate. But the wind and the waves, they seemed to be able to, he seemed to be able to stir them up pretty good. Let's get on here to the story. Verse 1, Mark chapter 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Everybody say, immediately. Immediately means as soon as he came out, right? So he lands the boat on the shores. We, we already know what happened here, right? There was a big storm. He lands the boat, and as soon as he gets out, it says here in Mark, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 
who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him, and always, everybody say always, so immediately, and always, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains, and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Huh. This is uh, quite an ordeal. If you lived here, in this area, in this neck of the woods, and you were near the tombs, and you were near the place where this guy lived, every day, all day, and all night, you heard somebody crying out. You could hear him. This man was violent. He didn't just mind his own business. If he minded his own business, the townspeople would never try and put him in, in shackles. If he just wants to go out there and mind his own business, who cares? But he's causing trouble. So they put him in shackles. And they couldn't bind him. They couldn't keep him bound. They would try one method, and that would not succeed. So they would try another one, more harsh than the first. Then they would try a third, more harsh than the one before. Bigger chains. And he would keep breaking these things. He would keep being freed, and then they'd go out. And eventually, I'm sure that they got to the point where they said, forget it, we can't, we can't do anything about this. We are stuck in this situation. Now, picture it this way. How many of you, if you can remember back to your apartment life, how many of you have ever lived in apartments? And you had an unruly neighbor. You had somebody that you wish would move out. Oh, you wish they would move out. Oh, they were... Chenzo's back there saying yes. <laughs> oh, you want them to go someplace else. We do not need them around. This is what they have here. They have an unruly neighbor and they have done everything they can to evict him, to silence him, to quiet him down. And they have finally just given up. Let him run in the tombs. They probably are telling their kids, don't go near the tombs. Don't walk over that. Don't play over that way. Don't go down to the beach over in that area. Stay away from there. They all have all these warnings about what to do. They always want to know, where is the... Where is this man? If you go over to Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells you that there's two of them. And that's probably why they could do this night and day. Because one would pick up where the other one left off. Maybe they get a couple hours rest. And then they would, would keep going on. But there's one dominant one of the two. And Mark focuses on that one. Now, go back to verse 2. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces neither could anyone tame him. In all ways, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is the, this is the condition. This is the place where he was at. Verse 6 reads this way. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now this verse is here is loaded. He saw Jesus 
from afar. This is why he met him as soon as he came out. He saw Jesus coming over on the boat. How does this man know this is Jesus? I don't know. Somehow this man knew that this was Jesus. Which means he's either heard some stories about Jesus and maybe when he had his right mind about him, he said, God, would you send Jesus my way? Would you send Jesus my way to help me be free of this torment? I think it has to be some kind of a scenario like that. And then God issues him orders. I want you to go over there and set that man free. So Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. And here he comes. And the man up in the mountains and in the tombs, wherever he was at, he saw Jesus coming and he immediately came down to where Jesus was. I need, I need him. I want him. And he came on down and the word of God says this. When he came, look at the word that he used. And he came. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. All right. I want to take a look at this word worship here. This word worship, I'm going to tell you right, right off the bat here on this one. This, this word was made for Mia. Mia will understand this word. Because this is the compound word, this word is made up of two things. The first word of this is pros. And if you were around here for when we did the, the armor of God, we spent a lot of time. It's a very, very common word. It's over a thousand times this word is used in the word of God. But it talks about being drawn near, someone being near. Uh, most of the time in a friendly way. Pros. But the second part of this verse the second part of this word actually is a derivative of the word for dog. The literal translation of this word is to kiss like a dog licking a master's hand. We can get that picture, right? We got the dog coming on up. When the dog comes up to you, you got your dog, Mia, you got a dog. The dog comes up to you and sits down at your feet. What is the dog doing? 100% of the time, maybe 99% of the time, but if the dog comes, you have come into the house, the dog comes and immediately, I mean, cats don't do this. This is why cat was not involved in this word. <laughs> Only dog. The dog comes as soon as you come home, what happens to the dog? Immediately, the dog comes where? To your feet. And what does the dog always do when the dog comes to your feet? He bounces on over. He plops himself down there. And he, she, looks at you. Right? The eyes of the dog are on you. Tongue might be out. <laughs> you're home. Oh, you're home. And if you get down to the dog, which a lot of people do, a lot of people come home and the dog's there and they come down and they get close to the dog. And what's the dog do? Dog licks you. They always do. You don't want that? Don't get down with the dog. Dog's going to do it. Dog's gonna... Cats, they won't lick you. They'll ignore you unless it's, you know, feeding time. But dogs, they come up. 
This is the word that is describing worship in the Bible. There are five words that are used for worship in the Bible. Maybe one day we'll, we'll do a study on them. Five different words that are used for, for, for this. Some of them are just talking about just a, a religious reverence. For that. That's not this word. This word is a word that is it's the most common word for worship that you will find in the Bible. This word, when it's used, is talking about when, when you come on down, you, down at the feet. You're looking up at the Master. Oh, I just want to worship you. That dog, when it comes into your feet, you are its world. All it wants to do is tell me something to do, I'll do it. You want me to go fetch something? I'll go fetch something. You want me to sit? I'll sit. You want me to lay down? I'll lay down. Just tell me something to do. All it wants to do is obey your any command. Whatever you say, it just wants to do it. That's a dog. Beautiful picture of worship. This is what this man did. This man came and immediately came down at his feet. And the Word of God said it worshipped him. Now, I gave you some references, and we're not going to go over them right now. I gave you some references. Those are some of the outlander areas of, of worship. Um, some of them are actually pretending worship. They pretend they do these things outside of this. And I'm going to give you this uh, up front. Usually I'll save this to the end. Our teaching for tomorrow is... Um, oh, uh, I just forgot his name. Nikolai, what's... Tim, Tim Delina. I uh, brought another one back from him. I actually saved this when I saw this. It's actually very recent. I think it's like in the last week, he's, uh, last week or two, he, he taught this one. But I saw this title and I put it away. And I thought somebody else texted me about this one too that they saw it, but I couldn't find that text. So um, if I forget, I apologize for that. But I actually saved it around there because the title just was incredibly intriguing to me. When did worship only become singing? Oh, man, that's... He got my interest in that one. I said, I got to listen to this one. So he's a little excitable. I know some people don't always like excitable, but uh, there's a great message that you get to, to hear on this one because worship is more. He does a, some, some beautiful things, especially in the beginning, you're breaking this thing down. But there's no singing involved when this man comes and worships. He's not singing. There's no hymns. But he comes and he worships. It's the first thing he does. Now, if you just read this over, and I'll, I'll bet many of you have this vision that when he came and he was down and worshipped, that immediately the devils took over. And that is not the case. I can prove it to you from the text, but that is not the case. That is not what happened. Well, let's go on with, with this part here. I saw uh, there was a contender for our quote for this for today it was from manly beasley boy what a name that is huh a glimpse of god will save you to gaze at him will sanctify you see some people they just want to get a glimpse of god i just need enough of god to get saved but the more you get into the presence of god the more that you gaze upon his face the more you engage in worship of him the more it will sanctify you you will become right because of him. And that was the quote I put in the bulletin for you today. Now, most of the town people avoided this area where this man was. They didn't want to encounter the man. They have apparently not, they're not looking out for Jesus to come. They haven't made any prayers about him coming. 
But you might ask this question, what do demons do to people? They possess them, what do they do? In this particular story, they caused this man to be first off suffering. It said he was tormented. It caused him to be stronger. He became a much stronger person because of, of this that was going on. This, this spirit that was in him. He became shameless. He was naked. He had no clothes on. Shameless. He became sinful. He did mean and, and horrible acts, scared people. And he committed self-inflicted injuries. These are things, when demons come upon you, they'll do this to you. They'll bring you into this. People that cut themselves, they're not inspired to do that by themselves. Devils inside you will do that. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody who cut themselves is possessed of the devil. It does not mean that. Please don't go away from there thinking that sort of thing. That's not what it's going after. That's one of the things that they can do. But don't, if you follow after these, these uh, ways, you can certainly go into that, that direction. In other places in Scripture, in Mark chapter 9, we see that demon spirits were responsible for epileptic seizures. That doesn't mean every time a person is epileptic, they're demon-possessed. Don't, don't take that. We just know that there are times that it was done that demons were behind it. In Acts chapter 16, we know that there was a girl who told fortunes because of the demons that were on her. So these are some of the things that they do. The Word of God tells us that a demon, when they are outside of a body, are tormented. And we've spent time, we're not going to, I don't have time to do it today, but we've spent time on it before. We told you where demon spirits come from. It's pretty evident in Scripture where they came from. They are disembodied spirits. Demons are not fallen angels. Fallen angels have a body. They don't possess people. Demon spirits are disembodied spirits. The Word of God calls them disembodied spirits and they go about seeking whom they may inhabit because they are at unrest. When they possess a person, they take on the peace of that person and pass on the unrest that they have. So the people that are demon-possessed, they have a lot of unrest about them. They take on a lot of the attributes of the demon spirit. These things will, will come on. You don't want to get involved with that. So we want to show you some things to, to help alleviate any fears that those things might come upon you. Because uh, we don't want anyone to be wondering about it. But these are some of the things that demon spirits, when they come on you, that they can do. So again, verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now, if you just read those two verses, it sounds like he came there, he worshipped him, and went right into this, this thing where the demon spirits took over, and they uh, just started speaking to him. But that is not the case, and the text doesn't support it. We'll show this to you. Because in verse 6, verse 6 he comes, verse 7 he speaks. If that was all we had, we could come out with that impression. But that's not all we got. Take a look at... Um, the uh, comparable verse of Scripture is over in Luke chapter 8. We're going to pick up at verse 28. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had, com- for he had see that? For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and it was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the d- demon into the wilderness. The man doesn't cry out until Jesus begins to rebuke him. Because both in Mark's gospel 
account of it. And here in Luke, it says that he had been commanding him to go. So there's obviously some time there for Jesus to have continually commanded him to go. So the man comes and he worships him. Jesus knows or sees or however it is that he comes to it that this man is possessed of the devil. And so he begins to rebuke the demon spirits in the man who is down on the ground worshiping him. When he begins to rebuke the man who is down on the ground worshiping him, the demon spirits rise up on the inside of him and they begin to speak out against Jesus. That is how this thing unfolds. That is what we know from the way this is laid out for us in the Greek. Even in the English, you'll see it there. Because even in the English, it says, He had commanded the the unclean spirit. They'll tell you right there, it's already been done. At this point, it's already been done. By the time he says these things, it's already been done. He often sees them. He's kept under guard, we know from from Luke. In uh, verse 29 of Matthew, And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, I put in your outline there that Jesus repeatedly made this statement. He does not make it one time. Most times Jesus says something, it's one time. This is one of those few instances where Jesus repeated, Come out of him. And he didn't reply. He didn't come out right away. He was, he was fighting on this. Now, he knows who Jesus is. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? He's identifying who he is. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Have you come to torment us before the time? They know that there's a time set that demon spirits will be locked up. There is a time set for that. It is not yet. But he makes this statement. Have you come to do it before the time? There's a time set. Have you come to get us early? It could be that these particular demon spirits, because we all know this is the legion, he has um, thousands of demon spirits in him, and they may be wondering, have we overstepped the bounds? Because if you go over to Revelations chapter 9, Revelations chapter 11, and Revelations chapter 17, you will find the place that they're talking about here in the abyss, which they're saying, don't throw it later on, they're going to, we're going to come to that. Don't, don't uh, let us, don't tell us to go into the abyss. Please let us, let us go someplace else. And they don't want to go into that abyss because the abyss was a place in Revelations chapter 11 and in Revelations chapter 17, we know that the beast comes out of the abyss, the bottomless pit. In Revelations chapter 9, we see that the pit is opened. This is during the tribulation and the smoke that rises actually darkens the sun on the earth. And demon spirits are released and they are given five months to torment men. But they are said you cannot kill them. They are given five months. These are demon spirits who went beyond what they were allowed to do and were locked up for it that are now being released. We don't know all the things we did. We know from the scriptures some of the things that, that some did and got them locked up, but we don't know all the things. But apparently, if you go over and above what you're allowed to do, then you are locked up. And so they're asking, please don't put us out there. Have you come to torment us before the time? If you look at the encounters that we looked in Matthew, Luke, and in Mark, you will see that there are different things that the demons say. There are two very different things, and even the two that are very similar, there's just uh, a little variation in that. 
And you might say, all right, well, there's obviously an inaccuracy in Scripture because if they came out and we're going to record what it is they said, it should be the same each time, right? Why is it that Matthew puts this thing in here, have you come to torment us before the time? No one else put that part in there. Why is it different? It's simply this. Go back to what Jesus did. Jesus kept saying to him. That means he keeps saying, come out of him. And what happens is the demon spirits in him, they would, they would make a reply. And then Jesus would say, come out of him. And then eventually they would make a reply. And he would say, come out of him. Because he didn't just repeat it twice. It said he kept saying to him, come out of him. So it stands the reason that the response was not exactly the same each time. And Matthew locked on to this particular response. Luke locked on to, uh, Luke and Mark kind of locked on to the same one, but just, just a little bit different. Uh, just slightly, very, very slightly different between those two. So that there's no contradiction in this. We already know this thing has been having some uh, discourse with him. And once we get to the point where you see the discourse, it might get a little creepy. That's okay. It's, it's in the Bible. We're going to have some fun with it. So I'll put it to you this way. How many of you have ever had someone in your household, husband, wife, mom, dad, somebody in the household call down to you? They're upstairs and you're downstairs and they have called down to you, Max, come and help me. Right? Now, you just tell me if the conversation that you've had in your household goes somewhere along like this. Max, I need you. Okay. But nothing happens. And whoever called upstairs, they, they call out again. Max, I need you. Now you tell me if this is, this is right. What do you need? A different response, right? Same question, but different response. I need you to come here. Can you wait a few minutes? You see, the, we're having the request, but how many of y'all know sometimes our response is a little bit different? That's the same thing that's going on here. Jesus has, has made a command. Come out of him. The response can be a little bit different. It's not inconsistent in Scripture. Now, the kingdom of darkness does things two ways. First off, it does things in secret. It wants to keep everything it's doing in secret all that it can. Second, it once it's come out, what it wants to do, it will do, do it blatant, blatantly in the open. They go from being in secret to blatantly in the open. Well, of course we're doing it this way. Of course this is what we're doing. This is what needs to be done. But before that, they kept it under wraps. You'll find this in school board meetings. You'll find this in... Uh, politics, you'll find it all over the place where we're trying to do something, we're trying to keep it under wraps, but as soon as it comes out, well, of course, this is what needs to be done. And they go, right. that's the kingdom of darkness. That's what he does. God doesn't do it that way. You can always shout praise to God. He'll always tell you what it is he's doing. Verse 8, Mark chapter 5. Then he said to him, for he said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. And again, the, the Greek is, he kept saying to him, come out of the man, unclean.
unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Luke puts it this way. In 8.30, Jesus asked him saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Now, people have taken from this thing that you have to always ask the name of a demon spirit before you cast it out. And that is garbage. This is one time this happened. And we're having a discourse and, and Jesus just asking what his name was. Never did that again. But he did it here. Now, look at this. My name is Legion. That word there for my in the Greek, you all know this word. You may not know that you know this word, but you all know this word. This word in the Greek is the Greek word ego. If you Englishize it, guess what words we get out of it? Ego. Now, if you have an ego, how many of y'all know it is your ego? It's not, you don't have somebody else's ego, it is your ego. You can only have your ego, you can't have somebody else's ego. The word ego in the Greek means I, my, or me. He is saying, my name is Legion. It is a primary pronoun, and it's of the first person. My name is Legion. This is not a name for the group of them. This is the name of the spokesman. My name. He didn't say our name. He said my name is Legion. There are other words you could use if you wanted to make this plural. They didn't use that. This thing says my name is Legion. There were many, but there is one dominant. Now, it doesn't seem that the presence of Jesus stirred this man, stirred these spirits up to talk it. It was the command of Jesus. Understand that. The presence of God in a place does not always stir up the forces of evil. But the commands will. Just because you're there doesn't mean it'll change anything. you got to start saying some stuff. Let's tackle this one before we go much further. How do people get demon-possessed? How is it that people can get demon-possessed? Because if you don't know how you can get demon-possessed, then you're going to go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to do anything. You don't get demon-possessed by proximity. You can't catch it. Can't walk by somebody and they sneeze. People teach this stuff. I have heard. I've not been in the meetings. But I've heard people have taught this stuff that they would sneeze. Brother Hagen would tell a story of a lady who came to get uh, uh, prayed for, to, for deliverance from a demon spirit. She said, I went into one of those meetings where they're casting out demons and uh, they told me I had a demon. I didn't know I had a demon. They told me I had a demon. And they told me in order for it to come out, you need to sneeze. So I sneezed. And ever since then, my nose has been running. Brother Hagen knew exactly what it was, cast out the demon off of her. He just opened up the door. That's all that you did. Uh, you cannot catch, catch a demon by proximity. If that was the case, how many demons would Jesus have? He's constantly going in where there's demon-possessed people. He don't care. He walks right into there with them. Because he knows you can't get on me. Proximity won't do it. Don't be afraid. Well, there's demon-possessed people over there. What if they get off on me? No, they won't get off on you. You won't catch it by proximity. There's going to be some kind of an invitation. They can't just go around to people. Well, I think I'll just take over this one. Nope, they can't do it. 
you can't be sleeping sometime and, and not be aware, quoting your verses of scripture and then get demon possessed. That won't happen either. We're never warned in the word of God to stay away from demon possessed people. We're only told to cast out the demons. How do you get, how does one get demon possessed? How do we enter in that? Well, first off, you get there by playing with the devil's stuff. Don't play with the devil's toys. You don't need to do that. Ouija boards, that's a devil's toy. Reading your horoscopes in the morning, morning, that's a devil's toy. Don't be playing around with devil's toys. Dungeons and dragons, I don't care if you like the game, burn it. Get it out of your house. There's a whole lot of things that have a lot of demonic presence on them that Christians have just accepted and brought into their house. I do remember the story. I did not hear it firsthand. I heard it secondhand. Heard the story of a mom who bought this game for their kids, the Dungeons and Dragons game, and they would be down in the basement constantly playing this thing. And she noticed changes in them. And long story short, she became aware that this was a demonic activity and that she needed to get rid of it. And so she uh, took it up to the to a fire. I'm not sure if it's a fireplace in the house or if it's a bonfire outside. And this would really be kind of eerie if you were in this. She said, as she stood there and she threw the pieces into the fire, they screamed. I don't know how many decades ago I've, I heard that story, but that has always uh, sat there with me. Don't bring these things into your home. I don't care how much you enjoy them. Get rid of them. Of course you're going to enjoy them. The devil wants you to start enjoying some of this stuff. And just because you did all that doesn't mean you're going to be demon-possessed, but you're playing around with it. Experimenting with the devil's inspirations. Don't read books that are talking about incantations and spells and witches and warlocks and all that. Don't be reading books about that stuff. You don't need to do that. You get a book that's got that stuff in it, get rid of the book. Go after a book that doesn't have that stuff in it. Wants you to be watching and imagining evil things. You got to be careful about what movies you watch. You know, we were we were growing up. They had a lot of those horror movies that mean scary ones. You know, the the ones with the demonic stuff in it and the heads turned around and all that. They, they had these movies. I'm not going to tell which ones they were, but you know, it was popular in school. They all wanted to go out there and see it. Oh, did you go out and see such and such a movie? I would tell them no. And, oh, you're scared. I said no. I'm smart. <laughs> They never could intimidate me to go over there and do There's no reason in the world I'd want to go out there and see all that stuff. I don't want to have that sort of stuff in my head. That's before I even knew all the stuff that I, I know now. Don't be messing with it. Don't be getting out there and, and watching these evil things, demon spirits materializing, possessing people, doing stuff. You do not need to be watching that sort of stuff. Get it out of your house. Get it. If you've got videos, DVDs with that stuff on it, burn them. Get, don't give them to people. Get them out of your house. You don't need them in there. Don't be accepting demonic doctrines. The Word of God tells us there are doctrines of devils. Don't be accepting those things. Don't be walking in the fruits of evil. These are things, they don't cause you to be possessed. They open the door for it. You're kind of inviting them. Now, there's a question that was sent in to me from the text I sent out to you. Was the door here open from curiosity or a sense of adventure or maybe a lack of good fear? You know, when you teach your kids... Don't run out in the road without looking both ways. Stuff like that. Well, absolutely, I think the devil's going to try and pull you in with curiosity. Don't you want to know what that movie is about that everybody's talking about? Don't you want to know what it's like to play that game? Don't you want to know what it's like? You know, tell you different things that, what, 
I mean, just get into, just try the drug out one time. Well, drugs, uh, I don't have time to spend it on there. You can trace that right back to demonic activity. All recreational, as they call them, recreational drugs, all go back to demonic activity. Straight out of it. Even the wording comes out of the, the words that are used for this. Don't be doing it. Stay out of that stuff. Don't be, don't be going that way. I always like when I get to go into a, a, a doctor's office. You know, they always ask you the question, have you smoked, drink, done drugs? I say, I always like love my answer for them. Never. A lot of times they look at me, what? Never? No. Never. Really? Yeah, I don't I have no interest in it. No interest in this. Never did. Didn't have it when I was a kid. Still don't have it now. Not going to go after that. Don't be doing it. It's just going to pull you in. The drugs will try and pull you into the things, demonic things. You don't want to be doing it. Don't be curious. Just learn God's ways. You don't need to learn the devil's. That cartoon I put in there about trust us, do not trust them. Find out what the ingredients are. Don't just say, well, this game, it's fine. It's okay. No, don't do it. Find out. What's the background on this game? What's the background on these cards? What's the background on this movie? Find out about it. Don't trust them. Now, I have an example here. I need two of our, of our young people, two of our young people to come on up. Any two. I can only have two. I only got two ready. It's, you, you're going to do one, Max? Come on. All right, who else? All right, we got Lissy in the back. Now, on the back here is a magnet. It will stick to things. I'm going to give you this one. Lissy, I'm going to give you this on the back here. This is a magnet. This is helpful in flashlights. You get magnets, you can stick them onto things and, and, uh, and help you out. Now, I want you to go around in the area here, and I want you to find things that they will stick to. Didn't do it, huh? Go, go ahead, look around. Look around. How to do there? No, not, not sticking there. Not sticking there. Not sticking there. Oh, well, there we go. It's stuck to that one. Yeah, there you go. You got the stuck to that one. Okay. Anything else we can find around here that that it might stick to? Yep, stuck to there. Stuck over there. All right, stuck on that one. All right, try to. Did it work on that one? Yeah, it did. Sort of on that one. All right, thanks, guys. Now, you see, they were testing out, on, going around trying to check out, does it work on this one? Does it work on that one? Uh, this is, this is uh, all stuff that, there, there are certain metals. Magnets will stick to metal, but not all metals. There are some metals that were resistant to the magnet, the, uh, the drawing power of the magnet. A demon-possessed person is just one that would attract those things. They have traits. They have characteristics that allow that to be pulled in. All you need to do is have the traits of one that's, that's uh, of God, and they can't come near you. You can walk right through a whole pack of them. They can't come near you. When I was a kid, before I knew any of this stuff, I used to love stories of haunted houses and ghosts. Anybody ever do that? I mean, real young kid. I used to think this was, oh, I was fascinated by this stuff. And, uh, and I started reading about all these things. And then I got word, you know what? This is of the devil. And I dropped it. Never pursued it again. Never went after it. Nope. And then, plus all the fun was gone and the thing. Because, you know, there's a mystery there. It's not a mystery to me anymore. It's a demon spirit. It's all there. You know, when you see the, the people, 
and they uh, advertised that uh, we got a ghost from so-and-so. They lived here 100 years ago and they died. You don't have a ghost. You have a familiar spirit who knew that person and they just try and make people think that this person is materialized. That person, if they were born again, is in heaven and they have no interest in coming down here or they were not in heaven and they're in hell and they have no choice either. They're stuck. Once I learned all that stuff out, you know, there's no way I'm pursuing any of those things. It's not going to help you out. Stay away from that stuff. Don't play around in it. You want to you keep yourself pure from those things and just keep going after the Word of God. The Word of God is what's going to help you out on these things. Now, there's a couple of, of songs I asked our, our folks to get ready for here in the back, and I went through and pulled these things together. We're not going to go through all the song, but um, you all know, uh, if you've been around me any length of time, that I have a favorite singer, and he's been a favorite singer of mine for decades. And uh, I'll play the first one here. This is called The Thomas Kind of Faith. Now, I have the words written down just so I can read them off to you in case any of you are not, not, not familiar with them. But uh, he wrote this one song called The Thomas Kind of Faith. You can play it whenever you have it going. And some of his words for this are Hope so, think so, maybe so. So think so, maybe so, we'll never win the race. Someday, maybe someway, is nowhere nearing faith. If you're just a hoping so, this news I have to break. You'll never get Abraham's blessing with a Thomas kind of faith. You'll never get Abraham's blessing with a Thomas kind of faith. The mountain will just stand there in the same old place. If you have to see it first, hear it or touch it or taste, You'll never get Abraham's blessing with a Thomas kind of faith. Could I have an amen? Amen! I've heard so many people say I... The, the Thomas kind of faith. Always oh, a great song. Brother Hagin would come up one time and he would say, just sing that song. Brother Hagin loved David Ingalls' music. Fill your head with this kind of stuff. Now, the music, I understand not everybody likes David Ingalls' music. I understand that. I, I'm pretty sure my parents introduced me to David... Uh, his music, because I brought his music with me to college, not Raymer. This is before college. I went to I went to college, and we got up there with uh, two other guys. And one guy was a Steve Martin fan, and he had all these albums for Steve Martin. And my roommate, he was a rock and roll fan. He's not so much anymore, but uh, his name was Bob. He um, he liked that, and they would pick on me because I liked David Ingalls' music, and I would play David Ingalls' music while I was up over there. And my, my roommate, Bob, he would say, I don't know, you, you know, it's too slow. You can't really dance to it. <laughs> and he was just picking on the stuff that was there. But all the words would get down in, inside, inside of me. And uh, just a little background on this. David Ingalls, I knew about him before I went to Tulsa. And when I had gone to Tulsa, I had uh, taken an apartment. And I didn't know where David was or anything. But I found out after I got there that David Ingalls had a, founded a church that he had Willie George be the pastor of, and it was merely one mile down the road. I didn't have a car, but I could walk one, one mile down the road. I would walk down there, and I, I attended that church. I already knew who he was. I already knew, I found out who Willie George was. He was not in the children's ministry then. He was just, uh, uh, he was a pastor at that point. He left that church and became, uh, got into the children's ministry thing. But here I got another song for you. I want you to hear this one. Uh, play number two. This one is called, That's What I Have, and That's Who I Am. You can sing, get these words going over here. 
blessings and more blessings overtake me. All His commandments I observe. While my soul doth prosper in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, the Living Word. That's what I have. That's who I am. Come out of Abraham Because of Christ I reign in life In Him That's what I have That's who I am Now here, I got another one for you On this one, and if you ever If you want this I found a YouTube link And it's two and a half hours of David Ingalls' music I put it up on the YouTube page. It's under the links because I can't just download and put it up there. But it's under the links if you want to go up there and see it. You can just put two and a half hours of David Ingalls' music and it will change you. Play this one. I want you to see some of the things that are on this that you get to listen to because we start off with scripture readings. Go and play whenever you got her, got her going. Uh, number three. Start off with scripture readings and he just reads scripture. And if you listen to the album over and over like I did Proverbs 4, 20-22 My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Isaiah 53, 5 He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Matthew eight seventeen, That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. 1 Peter two twenty four, Who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes Ye were healed. Then Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Imagine hearing that over... actually a medley of a couple of songs he puts together all with the worship in it is just for me it is through the roof i just absolutely love it one of the things he will put go ahead and start at number four anytime that you got it one of the things he will put on each album and every time he has an album the lord spoke to me and told me some things he said that we would begin to write with a new anointing and through the music and through the singing as we would minister forth the anointing would flow out from us and if the people will believe it, they'll receive healing for their body. Financial need will be met. Harmony will come to the home and 
every need will be met. The bondage will be broken because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Now listen to this song. This is, a, this is more of a funny one. may not like it too. Wholesome prison blues and back the night. Invite the chains of bondage and of strife. Important what you say, cause today you're the total of your talking yesterday. I don't sing those songs anymore, like born to lose and all the life before. What we say is what we get for sure. I don't sing those songs anymore. I don't sing those songs anymore. Like Born to Lose and all the like before. You are the total of your talking yesterday. These are the kind of things you fill yourself up, up with all the time. If you keep meditating on these words and they keep going over, it just changes the way that you look at on life. Brother Hagin, one time in one of the meetings, David Ingalls was there in the meeting. He tells the story. I heard David Ingalls tell this story. Kenneth Copeland was in the meeting. And Kenneth Copeland at this point was very big in making albums and music. And Brother Hagin said to Brother David in the meeting with Brother Copeland right there, he said, if you don't have Brother David's albums, you need to get them. I don't listen to anything else but them. And Brother David, he said, oh, man, here's Brother Copeland. He's surely far more popular than I am on, on all this. And he just kind of wanted a hole open up and just kind of to, to go inside. But uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> I know the music style isn't always uh, everybody's favorite, but how oh, I love the words. Oh, I love getting those words going down on the inside of me all the time. And that part I had you listen to in the beginning, that's a prophecy that was given to him in a meeting. And he put it on every single one of his albums. And I've listened to it for decades. I've heard him say that. So I have it memorized myself. And I was listening to it over the, the last week. And I thought, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Hold on. It said there, not prophecy. That if people would receive the anointing, they'd be healed on their body. Financial need would be met. Harmony would come to the home. The yoke of bondage would be broken. For it is the anointing. It breaks the yoke. I suddenly got something to rise up on the side. It says, God, you know there is no one on the face of this earth present right now that has respected that anointing on that man more than I. I know it. And I've got, what, four or five decades of listening to this stuff? I've never gotten tired of it. I said, I can receive that healing and that anointing. For all the, the pain that still wants to linger around on the inside of me. So I just decided that right then. I'm just going to take that. Let's go on here. We're not going to get finished. Verse 10. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. We already talked about that. And, and uh, Luke puts it into the abyss. So we're not going to get into all that right now. Verse 11. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. 
send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. They were about 2,000 in the herd, ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, I want you to see this. It changed. Over here in verse 10, verse 10 said, And he begged him. Don't send us. He begged him. Verse 12. Mark chapter 5, verse 12. Changes. So all the demons begged him. In the Greek, they, they translated this exactly right in English. I'm not picking on anything they did here. I just want you to know there's a reason why it's done this way. In the Greek, it is third person singular in Mark chapter 5, verse 10. In the Greek, in Mark chapter 5, verse 12, it is third person plural. Now, here's the creepy part. Up till now, Jesus has been having a discussion with one demon, him. All of a sudden, here in verse 12, he is having a discussion with them. How do you do that? Have you ever read over that and missed this part? They said, they begged Jesus. They, they, how do you do that? What you got is one man with one vocal cord and the one demon was taking over that vocal cord and speaking. Now, all of a sudden, we are going beyond the one vocal cord and all the demons are giving voice at one time. How many of y'all can say that's creepy? Can you imagine talking to somebody and thousands of voices come out? And if they're begging, you have one saying, oh, please don't say, oh, please let us do this. Oh, please don't do that. Oh, please. All at once, if you're the disciples. Uh-uh. No. No, we don't like this sort of stuff. This is weird. We've never seen anything like this before. And they're asking to be sent out into the, into the swine. Verse 14. So those who fed the swine, so those who, oh, did I miss a, verse 13. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. They were about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Oh. Why does Jesus allow the demons to go into the swine? I think, well, first off, anybody who's raising swine in Israel is not doing it for the Israelites. They're doing it to feed the Romans. Because the Israelites can't eat it. So they're trying to make make money off the Romans being here. In the story, you will notice no matter what version you look at, Luke, Matthew, Mark, doesn't matter, you will never see that the owners complained. The only times... The only people you hear saying anything about it is the people who fed them, not the owners. They're the ones who've suffered the loss. I think the only reason that Jesus allows this to happen is because I want you people around here to see these demons were in there, these demons were real, and they just drove these pigs off of the cliff. And the people who fed the pigs were amazed at this. They were scared. They never they fed pigs all the time. Never saw anything like this. And they go into the town. You wouldn't believe what just happened. Oh, man, the pigs just ran off. Jesus cast out the demon off that guy who had all those, all those demons. We couldn't chain them up. Demons are gone. He cast them out. They all went into the pigs. And the pigs all went over the cliff. So those who fed the, the swine fled. And they told it in the city of the country. And they happened out to see what it was that was going on. 
Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been, had been, past tense, demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. You just had a demon-possessed man with thousands of demon spirits in him. You couldn't walk around that area. You were scared to walk. And now Jesus comes in and sets them free. You tried to chain them and you couldn't do that. Jesus comes in and sets them free. And now you're afraid? Now you're scared? And those who saw it told how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. You need to go. We got used to living with a demon-possessed man, but we can't deal with you. You need to go. Luke eight thirty-five. Then they went out to see what had happened and, Je- and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also who had seen it told them by what means he had been demon-possessed was healed and the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes, the whole multitude, all the people around there, asked him to depart from them for they seized with great fear. He got in the boat and returned. All right. Now here's the picture. We've got to run through this real fast. Here's the picture. Jesus cast out the demons. They all get out. They get some clothes for the guy. The guy puts some clothes on. And it says here in the picture of Luke, the picture is that he is sitting where? He's sitting at Jesus' feet. There are three reasons, three reasons that people sit at Jesus' feet. First one, healing. And they came and they set those who were sick at the feet of Jesus and he healed them. That was the first thing. The second one, you'll see over there with Martha and with Lazarus and with Mary. They sat at Jesus' feet because he was teaching. Martha was in there making stuff. They're over there sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. People sat at Jesus' feet to hear. The disciples would do this and he would teach them. The third thing was uh, not as, a, not as important as, as these ones, but I want you to mostly focus on this part here. He would teach them. Why is this man sitting at the feet of Jesus? And look, how, look at how long he's there. These guys have to run into town. And I'm just going to give you some estimates on this and they're probably short. Let's say it takes them 15 minutes to run from where they are with the pigs into town. Say it takes them 15 minutes to do that. Let's say it takes them an hour to gather everybody up, tell them all the story, and bring them on out. That's an hour and 15, hour and 30 minutes easy that Jesus is alone with the man. Do you think the man is just sitting there at Jesus' feet and they're just staring at each other? No. What happens? Jesus is on an assignment. We can't just cast out the demons. Jesus already taught. If all you do is cast out the demons and you don't put something else in there, they're going to come back. So what do you think Jesus is doing while they're all going into town? He's putting some stuff in them. He's teaching them. He's got to be instructing them, giving them some help on this to help him to get on, get on by with this. Look at verse 18, chapter 5 of Mark. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Now, first off, they're getting into the boat. Who's getting into the boat? The disciples and Jesus. The disciples and Jesus. How many of you here are getting into the boat with Jesus? Don't give me that super spiritual thing that I, I would, I'd be getting in the boat. Get you just got in the boat with Jesus and almost drowned from a storm. And so you got over here to dry land. How many are glad we're on dry land? Oh, glory to God, we're on dry land. And Jesus says, let's get back in the boat. What? 
back in the boat. Where's that storm that we just almost sunk us? But they get back in the boat. Hats off to them. However, Jesus did not permit them. This guy, this demon-possessed man, he wants to get in the boat. Doesn't he hear the story? They almost drowned. He's begging to get in the boat. I want to get in the boat with you. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. Go home. Look at this verse. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things, things singular or plural. How many things did Jesus do for him? He cast out the demon. How come it says things? Go tell them what great things have been done for you. Because while he was sitting there, he was putting stuff in them. He taught him. He instructed them. He probably told them, this is what opened the door for you to get all those demons in there in the beginning. Close this door. Don't be doing this stuff anymore. And he began to teach them some things. And he said, I want you to go home and I want you to tell the people what great things have been done for you. And how he has had compassion for you. Verse 20, And he departed and began to proclaim at the capitalists all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, a lot of times Jesus said, Don't tell anybody this, but you see, he's not going to be allowed in here. They're not going to want him to be in there. So you go and you tell them. And you get them all excited about what's happening with this. Luke says, He went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things, plural, Jesus had done for him. He told everybody. He went around. What great things that Jesus had done for him. Well, when people are at the feet of Jesus, we said it was to receive healing, teaching, and as we saw with this man, he gave worship. And others would do the same thing. What I want you to understand here with this, do not fear the devil. Don't fear the things of the devil. and But don't mess with his stuff either. Don't hang out in his territory. How many read that uh, or listened to that uh, Monday teaching we gave you last week, Jay Eberly? Two weeks ago, Jay Eberly. And he was giving that story about uh, Brother Hagin going on to the Mormon tabernacle. That's a, that was a powerful story. Don't get on the devil's territory unless you got an assignment from God. You got an assignment from God, you go on the devil's territory. But as I, I love that story. Don't be a tourist on the devil's territory. <laughs> That's, that is great. We don't need to be tourists on the devil's territory. Mm-mm, I don't need to see what it is that he's doing. Stay out of it. You put the right stuff on the inside. You stay in the, in the things of God. You keep that in there. No devil in the world can get in you. You don't have to be afraid. They can't put nothing on you. They can't get in you. You can walk in the midst of devils and they cannot touch you. But don't mess with their stuff. Don't mess with the devil's attitudes. Don't mess with the devil's paraphernalia. Don't mess with things that the devil inspires. Don't be doing it. Stay away from it. Don't read books about spells, incantations, watch movies. I am amazed that people, I've had this in my life, I'm sure you've had it too. I've had people that regularly watch demonic-filled movies, read demonic-inspired books, and then tell me what God said. Uh, No, you're going to mess with that stuff. It's going to desensitize you to the things of the Spirit. And what you're hearing in the Spirit is probably not from God. I just laugh. That's just incredible. Don't be doing it. You're going to be messing with that sort of stuff. It is going to desensitize you to the things of the Spirit. You're still going to pursue God. Remember the one story we looked at? Demon-possessed man in church. In church. 
Get at the feet of Jesus. Listen, learn. Let his nature become your nature. Let it change you. Listen to things that inspire you in the word. Don't listen to things. Don't watch things that are inspiring the wrong stuff. You don't have to be in fear of Satan's kingdom. But be wise. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that we have no reason to fear anything that the devil throws our way. He cannot overcome the power of our God. And he cannot overcome the power of the spirit that is in us. Father, I thank you that we have been set free of these things. And we are free indeed. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll ask our folks to help us out with our communion elements. Because certainly on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was taken to the cross, all hell, we use that term not necessarily because they're based out of hell, but just all the forces of evil were coming against Jesus. Go ahead and distribute the, uh, whoever, whoever can, distribute our elements there to our folks. They were all coming after Jesus. But Jesus, despite all of the demonic activity that was there, all the people that were inspired by evil, by Satan, by demons, to do all the evil that they were doing that night, despite that, he said, no one takes my life. No one takes it. I lay it down. Despite all that they had going on for them there, they could not take Jesus' life if he did not lay it down. And he laid it down for us. He went to that cross knowing what was coming, knowing what was going to happen, and he did it for you because of his great love for you. Because he wanted to make you not covenant people. He wanted to make you born again people. He wanted to bring you to the place where you are born into the family. That you would be sons and daughters. Notice that Jesus Christ, when he died, he was the son of God. Did you notice that he never stopped being the son of God when he was resurrected? He is still called the son of God. Thank you. And we are all sons of God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. You are not just there because of a covenant that Moses received from God and that people had to live up to and do certain things. You are in covenant because of what Jesus did for you. And all you need to do is receive. You have been made sons and daughters of the King. And that goes into the next life. Glory be to God. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of, of me. We need to remember that Jesus sacrificed his body so that we would be free from sickness and disease. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup said this represents the blood of the new covenant we don't have to shed the bulls and the goats and the sheep his blood is already done let's receive what it is that he did for us and always be remembered we don't have to add to it we just need to receive it let's drink together glory to God Father we thank you the work that you do with us. 
There is no demon power on earth that can hold a candle to what you have, even when a legion of demons inhabits this man. By the power of your word, he was delivered. There is nothing on this earth that we can face that is any greater. You have redeemed us from it. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as we already announced to you, tomorrow's, it's already up there if you want to go up there and see it. It's a wonderful expansion of what, what worship is. And I, I love how it goes all the way back to the first time that the word worship was used. I think you will enjoy that. Wednesday night, my wife is going to be teaching on uh, Wednesday night. Okay, we'll, we'll publish that uh, topic probably up on Facebook. Get that one out there for you. Have a great rest of your morning. Bless some of the people that are around you.